I was horrified. Like, I, I was so nervous. You know that feeling that you get when you, like, you can't really breathe? There's so much adrenaline, and you just feel like you're choking. What would you do if your parents kicked you out at 16 and you were forced by the only other adult in your life to sell your body and do things that still haunt you to this day? Or if you were invited to your coworker's birthday party and the next thing you knew they were threatening to kill your dog and your family if you didn't strip to earn them money? I'm Anthony Padilla and I spent a day with human trafficking survivors to find out. Hello, Marky. Hey. Hello, Jose. Hi. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla because sometimes existing is exhausting. Are you comfortable going into all the details of what led up to your trafficking experience and what actually went down? I was a really shy, sheltered girl. I wasn't very sure of myself and I didn't have a lot of friends and I was just seeking approval. I was seeking love. You know, my family dynamic was a little rough. I didn't have a great relationship with my mother. And I think that was um, the catalyst for everything that happened because my trafficker was female. I was always searching for like a, a girlfriend, someone mm. that cared about me. And I found that in my trafficker, it was probably two weeks of her at work, just getting to know me, asking me about my family situation, asking me, what I wanted of life. And then it ended up being her birthday. So she invited me to her birthday party. And that's where, that's where she trafficked me. She picked me up from my house, drove me to her place, and she's like, spend the night. So we went to the club with her friends. She paid for bottle service. She paid just for everything that we did that night. She said I owed her $600, because now I'm in debt. And the only way that I can get, give it to her is through dancing at a strip club. And she drove me right to a strip club in Toronto and had a bag, literally just pulls it from the back seat and is like, okay, like here's your cookie sheet, here's your thong, here's your whatever, you're gonna work, here's your ID, like go, go in and make me $600 and we'll be square. But I looked at her really shocked. It's like, you know when you look at someone and there's no soul in their eyes? Yeah. Like she went from friend to just looking at her was scary. She she said, I know where you live, so I'll kill your dad. I'll kill your dog. I chuckled because I, I just thought it was a sick joke. And she looked at me so seriously. Um, and she's like, I have people. So you know that feeling that you get when you, like, you can't really breathe? There's so much adrenaline and you just feel like you're choking. My experience started back in 2007. Um, I was kicked out of my home because of my sexuality as a gay man. I had to find a way to survive on my own. So I went on to a gay chat site and then I got a message from a guy, his screen name, I'll never forget it, was Jason RMT. It stands for Registered Massage Therapist. Mm. And because I was so desperate for someone to help me and figure out what it is that I need to do, I told him everything. And this is just a random person on the internet? Random person on the internet. Attractive. You know, I, I think that when you think of bad people, pedophiles, you think they're gonna be ugly. They're gross. <laughs> they're like, you, I don't want you around me. Right. You would think that. And then it turned into, I feel because I have the means to support you and to help you, I want to be able to do that for you. 
A lot of right. people would say, oh, that's a huge red flag. Too good to be true means that it probably is too good to be true. Right. But as a 16-year-old, this is what, exactly what I need, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I need. Where else am I going to go? All the people in my life who were supposed to love me and support me gave up on me and mm -hmm. told me that all I ever was was an abomination. And I sat on the phone with him after that conversation online for several hours, contemplating if this was a good idea. And he said, I'll pick you up whenever you're ready. And so when I finally made the decision, I said, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And so my friend dropped me off at a gas station. That's a very safe place to get yeah. picked up by a random person you met <laughs> I mean, on the internet. It was daylight and it was in public. There was another gentleman in the vehicle at the same time. I got into the back seat and I remember, and I'll never forget it, I looked up into the rear view mirror and I could see the older gentleman in the passenger seat staring at me. And he said, wow, you're very, very attractive. They take me to this person's condo. That's when things started to kind of get a little strange. And Jason said, um, after coming out of the shower completely naked, I would love to give you a massage. I haven't shared this with you, but I'm a registered massage therapist. He started to massage me, and then I could feel that he started to have an erection, and he started rubbing it between my backside. Mm -hmm. And he ejaculated all over my back and then started rubbing it all over me. Mm. But it never went further than that, which is pretty, pretty right. far. That was that. We went to sleep. The next day, things started to change. Jason has a proposal. You can work for me as a therapist in my business. The issue is I don't know how to give a professional massage. And he said, that's the easy part because I'm going to be in the room with you. It came time to the first client. And... I couldn't believe that he had already had a client lined up, almost as if he knew that I was going to say yes. As soon as I enter the room, I see a grown white man completely naked on a massage table. And then the door shuts behind me and it locks. And I knew that if I said something or did something wrong, something was going to happen to me. And I didn't know what. We started the legs, we moved, worked our way up. And that's when the client was allowed to grab me, fondle me, touch me, and perform oral sex on me. And I was completely uncomfortable. I remember thinking in that moment, how do I get out of this situation? It was happening at least two times a day. You know, you would think that I would say that this was probably the worst experience of my life, but I'll say hands down the worst experience of my life was having my parents give up on me and fail me and kick me out of the house. Did that experience make you feel more numb to this yeah. experience? Because mm -hmm. yeah. you've already experienced something. So traumatic. So I had a man come take me into the back room. I told him I've never done this before. So he sat there with me for probably five drinks and we chit chatted to the point where I now I'm tipsy and now I can start like giving him lap dances. She comes to pick me up and I was happy. I made the money. I felt proud. I felt a, in a weird way empowered. You're like, I made the $600. Yeah. Literally, I open the door. She's sitting in the driver's seat and she goes, she didn't say a word to me. She drove me back home to her house where there was two men. They gave me some drugs and then they both, I hate using the R word. Um, 
But that was a night. Then they made me, you know, go get in the shower, sleep, and the next morning they drove me right back to the club. And what was going on through your mind knowing that this wasn't a one-time thing? So much confusion. Like, why am I here again? There was so many layers to it. Like, um, she'd make me do, like, her drug running. So now she's placing this fear in me that if you ever go to the cops, you're going to get a drug charge. And then you're going to get a charge for escorting. So now I'm scared of the police. Right. I also worked as a sex worker for her. And so now she has these photos that were put on the internet to sell myself. If I don't comply, then I'm sending this to your your whole list of people. Because I have your phone, I have all your contacts. I just brushed it aside like, oh no, like she's just really rude to me. And I think she needs a friend. When did you realize that this was a situation that you needed to escape? So we ended up in this one strip club in Niagara and my pimp had to do a drug deal in Toronto. So I knew she was gonna be gone for a certain amount of time. What was the plan? So I had a customer that I saw every day, confided in him and he's like, you need to get away. He would get in his car because you're not allowed to leave the club because you, if you're staying there, you have to work until close. And basically while they were giving lap dances, I ran out like in my heels in my bra and panties, ran out to the car and he peeled it and he booked a motel for me to stay in. And I stayed there for a month while I tried to figure out, like, what's my next move? I didn't have a phone. I didn't have contacts. Um, I didn't want to go back home because I would have to face my family and say, guess what? This is what I've been doing. So I didn't call them. What I ended up doing was finding some contact information from a guy that I had known that I felt comfortable with. So I called him, he picked me up. After a week of staying with him, he said, you know, rent's not free. So he drove me to my local strip club. <laughs> again, this happens again? <laughs> he picked me up, but he wasn't a girl. So I was like, <laughs> <sighs> so now I think I'm getting into a romantic loving relationship and I'm just helping with the bills. What's going on through your mind at that point where you feel like you would escaped and now you're back? Is this what I was meant to do? Like why, why would this be happening to me again? And maybe it just is so acceptable because keep in mind, the only people that I'm hanging around are customers, traffickers, strippers, and so your world is all sexualized and it started to become comfortable, mm. you know, and it boosted my ego. I thought it boosted my self-esteem because why would somebody want to spend money on like me? me? You know, it, it felt good. So you, you got to a point where you weren't thinking I need to escape, I need to escape? No, because I cared about him so much. I needed to, I wanted to escape the clubs, because um, I didn't feel comfortable there. I didn't feel safe. I was certain I was gonna be stuck there forever until they, they either killed me or I would die from a drug overdose or a client would kill me. I was certain of that. And when I looked in the mirror and I like told myself like, like just be happy with like what you have. In order to have a happy life, you just have to be happy no matter your circumstances, so. So you felt like it was a personal choice to be happy or unhappy. Yeah. And you had to just 
make the choice to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. As the weird behavior kind of started to prog progress, I started to feel that he was like letting go of me and allowing me freedom like to go for a walk or to do something on my own. That's where I started thinking I can actually leave. Was it like an escape? Like, what was that like? Did you have to gather things and hide at night or? It wasn't like a movie. Like it was, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like he had me in the basement and you right. know, I found a way to get out. I told him one day, I'm not feeling well. I don't want to go to the gym today. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I have like a really bad headache. I think I just need to sleep it off. And he's like, well, I'm going to go to the gym do my thing, I'll come back, hopefully you feel better. And so while he was away, I packed my bags, grabbed the phone for the business that he left on the dresser, and I contacted my previous abuser. Mm. And I told him, don't call the phone back. I told him everything that was happening. I had him pick me up in the morning, I had a little bag packed. I didn't have much stuff with me. Mm -hmm. um, and the next morning while Jason was asleep, I walked out. And as I got older, I started to understand, like, why would any adult ask a 16-year-old to join a business with them? And I sat with that question for a very, very long time. Did you immediately realize that you had been trafficked? Did that word ever come to your mind? No. It wasn't until 2014. I had a friend come and visit me from Houston, Texas. At the end of his trip, he said, I have something that I need to share with you. And he goes, there's this article that came out and I want you to, to know that I know what happened to you. My friend told me that Jason had been arrested taking a 15-year-old boy to London to do the exact same thing that he had done to me. And the first thing I said to my friend is, don't tell anybody because I'm gonna get into a lot of trouble. Because you felt you were complicit in it. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't think you're gonna get in trouble, but there's a, a number which was to the human National Human Trafficking Hotline. He said, I think you should call. Even then, I still wasn't sure that I was even trafficked. There's this idea that most people who are trafficked are taken to a different country, and then they're sold in a different country. When in reality, human trafficking is something that is much more common than we even realize. And it happens more times than most to marginalized people. Our systems that are in place that are supposed to protect everybody equally mm. are not protecting everyone equally. Racism, homophobia, transphobia, all of those play a part in creating vulnerabilities for people to end up in situations like the one that I ended up in. Once I get the article explaining Gandhi's arrest, yeah. I finally at three in the morning sent a text to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And I explained in this long text message that what had happened to this young 15-year-old boy happened to myself as well. And I said in the message, I'm scared, I'm gonna get in trouble. And someone responded immediately. And what they said is, are you in a safe place? Are you okay? Can we wait to have a conversation tomorrow morning? And I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, don't worry, you're not gonna be in trouble. I still thought I was gonna get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I woke up the next day, they then connected me with the Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security then connected me with the U.S. attorneys that were working on this case. How do you eventually get out of this situation? Thank God the strip club owner was educated by police on human trafficking. They called me into the office one night 
there was an, um, a plainclothes officer sitting there and um, he asked me some questions and I thought like, you're, you're so stupid. Like nothing's happening. I felt like it was such a waste of his time. I'm in a consensual loving relationship. Um, he was asking me about my previous traffickers and he said, come down to the station tomorrow. Um, I want to interview, do a formal interview. So I did. They showed me a book and it trains people on how to be a pimp. And they said, read the first page. And I was like, I had a pimp. <laughs> Wait, what is that? Make sure she doesn't have a voice. Make sure you take all of her things. Like everything I said, like take her ID, take her phone, make sure she's your bitch, like um, get her um, in debt. It was textbook. I was trafficked. I had no idea. So that was when you found out you were trafficked before? Or did you also realize that you were being trafficked in the moment? I didn't realize I was being trafficked in the moment. You only realized that you were trafficked in the past. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that and realize he, he was 40. Okay. And you were 19? Mm -hmm. That's disgusting. <laughs> Red flag number one. Yes. But I thought I'm so mature. Mm -hmm. You know, a 40 year old likes me. Like that looks good on me. I didn't think that it was a bad thing about him. Well, that also kind of goes back to what you're saying about your childhood and feeling like acceptance from older authority figures, your parents was something you sought after. Yes, yes. So it, it felt good. And before I was allowed to leave, they set me up with um, a safe house. They kind of get you back on your feet in terms of like getting your identification back, getting you a phone, setting you up a therapy, getting your immediate needs met and then setting you up with a plan for the, the future. But I was in the safe house. I met another girl who had been trafficked and um, her and I became very close. And she said, break up with this guy and let's just do sex work on our own. And this friend, I was 19, she was 27. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of like a figure to me where she was very controlling with what we did and where we went. And I feel like I was just being like handed off to all these different older people that were just taking advantage of me. Ended up getting into some trouble down in, down here in LA. Mm -hmm. Went to jail for a little bit and then got deported. I had a wake up call about a month after that and I moved back home and that's kind of where, you know, healing started. So what was that like, you know, going back home and having that wake up call? <sighs> I felt stupid. I felt like I didn't belong. There was so much shame, even to this day. I still live in the same city that I grew up in and people look at you and they shame you. Boyfriends shame me. I don't know, it's just, I have to kind of go through life holding my head high and hoping that the people that are in my circle just won't use it against me. And I can't go without thanking Dipsy for sponsoring this episode. Dipsy is an app full of short audio stories designed by women 
for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, and new content is released every single week. So in between listening to your favorite stories, you can always find something new to explore. And Dipsy has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories, so you're set no matter what. Before I spend today with viewers and listeners of the podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Padilla. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash P-A-D-I-L-L-A. Now, back to the world of human trafficking survivors. I didn't realize that there were three others that had come forward. Mm. And we all testified in the trial against Jason. It wasn't until I was sitting outside of the courtroom where I had this uncontrollable feeling over my body. I remember someone told me, it's usually easiest if you just look down, just look down at the floor. Mm. And I did that. And then it wasn't until they had me identify myself at the age of 16, looked at the photo and they said, can you identify the boy in the photo? And it just, all the emotions. And I remember saying it in like the most choking, emotional way. And I said, it's me. In the photo, I was smiling. And it was suddenly, I feel like I went seven years of not knowing who I was, who I used to be. And I had to look at this young person smiling and I couldn't remember what I was like. I couldn't remember being happy. And that was probably like the turning point for me in my entire life was how do I get back to that? What I didn't realize is even though testifying is supposed to be this like incredible thing, suddenly I'm right back in it. After the trial, I contemplated suicide. I sat in my hotel room and I had broken a glass and I held the glass to my wrist in the bathtub with the tub running. And I texted my partner and I said, I'm done. I love you, but this is it. Anna. He called the hotel um, and asked if he could be connected to me because I stopped. I turned off my phone and um, the phone started ringing in the hotel room and I was like, I can't do, I can't do this. Like, um, I answered the phone and he's like, don't do anything. Don't do anything because remember what you told me. You told me that this is not the end and that this is just the beginning of a whole new life. I said, you're right, you're right. Um, this is just the beginning and I'm gonna get my shit together. That's when I first got the diagnosis of extreme PTSD, anxiety, depression. After the two weeks of me laying in bed, not stepping foot out of the apartment, my partner came home and he's like, that's it. Like, you need to get out of bed we're going for a walk. And we walked to this like small pond. And I remember I just started crying when I saw the water. And I said to myself out loud, this is it from here on forward. You're gonna make changes in your life and you're gonna do so much better because you can't keep living your life this way anymore. Have the people that trafficked you received any kind of punishment? 
Not much. That's the hard part with trafficking is it's really hard to lay down a charge. They got out on bail and then it never ended up going to court, but they got off and I think they had, you know, like you're not allowed in any strip clubs in Ontario for the rest of your life. Like little things like that. You're like, okay. Yeah, cool. they're like, okay, so we're gonna traffic from hotels now. Right. They're going to make money and they will exploit people. Jason Gandy received 30 years in prison with no chance of parole. Did you feel like that was a fair punishment? Is there a fair punishment? <sighs> Here's the thing. Initially, I didn't. Initially, I was like, he needs life. Like, I think that was something the prosecutors were even kind of telling us they think was possible. And then I thought about his age. He was in his 40s. I mean, when he gets out, if he gets out, it's a long time. And yeah. the more I've sat with it, yeah, I think rotten there. Did people believe you when you started saying that you were trafficked? I did have friends who told me that they felt as though that I put myself in that situation. Mm. And that hurt. And obviously I lost those friends because... They're not worth having. They're not. They're not. They, they showed pretty quickly that they're not worth having. Right. And then I had people come up to me and said, I had no clue that that happened to you. And I'm sorry. And you're so brave and you're so courageous and you're going to help so many people. I didn't think that I was going to get negative responses. I really didn't think about that. And when I did, it hurt. My partner, again, said to me, always remember why you chose to do this and focus on that. We got to keep spreading awareness. We have to keep educating and recognize that this is a major problem and we can help the situation. Do you have any idea how common it is? It's the second largest industry in the world. What? It brings in mm -hmm. the second most money out of any industry. Globally. Globally. Mm -hmm. What's number one? So drugs. Drugs and then human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Most people are between the ages of 13 and 17. Um, so educate your children. Say it there. Educate your children. And I'm not talking your teenagers when you think it's appropriate to start talking maybe about sex. They need to know what it is. Are there any signs that people should look for to see if someone's being trafficking or even if a loved one is being trafficked? Your child is suddenly being like secretive on their phone and they're starting to hang out with somebody, but they're not introducing you to them. They start receiving unexplained items like a name brand purse. They're missing their curfew. They're staying out late. Um, dressing more provocatively. They won't have their ID. They will be withdrawing from their friends and family. If you notice, they have two phones, a working phone, a personal phone. Just kind of signs of an abusive relationship. How do you think a parent might react in a situation if they see the signs without making the child feel like there's going to be some distance drawn between them if they do? Right, I would ask questions that they can answer instead of being like, I notice, you know, I notice you're dressing slutty or whatever and shaming them. It's like, hey, like, I notice you changed the way you dress. Like, wanna talk about it? You've been making a lot of money and you've been working really late. Like, what's this new job? Can you tell me about it? Can you tell me about this new friend? I'm, like, I'm interested to know. And they probably won't answer. They pro <laughs> they'll probably lie to you. Right. But what you are doing is making it known to them, you're safe. If you're punishing them, 
you know, putting locks on the door. Now you're doing what the trafficker is doing to them. So you can't be like, get out. Okay, I'll save you. Come, come with me. Okay, are you providing them somewhere to stay? Are you providing them with the food and whatever money, if they are making money, all basic needs, plus whatever they feel they are getting from their trafficker, mm. or they're gonna go back. How does it feel now that you don't have all that weight on your shoulders? It feels good. It feels like I'm moved really far along and I feel more of myself. Like I'm I'm not holding on to anything. I think the only thing is the, the pop-up you know, shame over here or the trigger that reminds me of something, but I'm not holding an anger inside for anybody in that situation. And it feels good. My whole life I was searching for people to love me mm. and to care about me and to validate me. When in reality, the person that wasn't loving me was myself. You wouldn't have needed the others to love you if you had started right. with loving yourself. Absolutely. But how do you love yourself? Right. You can't just be told. You have right. to be taught or you have to learn. Right. Loving yourself is setting healthy boundaries. Loving yourself is taking care of yourself. Loving yourself is surrounding yourself with people that love and support you and treat you with respect and love and truly care about you. Mm. I mean, it took me so long to recognize that, but it wasn't until I started doing those things that I started to recognize that I do love myself now mm. and I can love myself. If there's anyone watching who has experienced something like this and you know maybe they are having trouble identifying it as trafficking or if they feel like they can't tell anyone, is there anything that you want to say to them? You are valid in your experience and what you have gone through and I believe you and I understand and that there is a whole other life and a journey that you're not even gonna know is gonna happen for you. And you're the only one that can kickstart that journey and that life for yourself. First, I'm proud of you. That's what you needed to hear at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many people that want to help you and there's so many resources that are out there you just have to seek them out and there are um there's such a better life ahead of you i feel like you probably feel very stuck right now and um feel like it's hopeless or feel like you're so you're in such a tough spot that you'd never be able to create a better future for yourself. Um, but you can, and it takes a lot of work and there's gonna be a lot of hard days, but please reach out to someone if you can. And um, yeah, there's, there's a life ahead of you. I'm just gonna put that down so it's not yeah. We learned <laughs> that it might be necessary. I didn't think I was gonna cry today. Well, you never know. Let's just assume you're not. Okay. Keep the strong facade. Mm. Don't <laughs> let it down ever. I'm not going to. No, no. <laughs>